This is our eighth and final session on this unit, 525 to 31. It's going to be a little different than usual. I have taken the time to type up for you and put on the screen eight um, answers to the question, all right, we've seen all of how a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and all of how a husband should love his wife as their own bodies, and all of that, interpreting what it means for the husband to be the head, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head. And I've taken the time now to put on the screen for you eight meanings of headship by way of summary. And I don't have time to uh, go back and look at every verse as we do this. So I wrote them out so that you could pause, go back and look at the verse, and check me. See whether, in fact, I am drawing out valid inferences about a husband's headship. So that's where we're going. Eight meanings of a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What does that mean? What should a husband be like? What should a husband do? And we said earlier that that is answered in 525 to 33. And that's what we've just spent seven sessions on. Actually, we've only gone through 31, but now we're prepared to sum it up. So here we go. Number one, he is the head of the wife. Nothing that Paul has said is a retraction of the husband is the head of the wife. That's number one. Second, his headship is rooted in and modeled on Christ's headship of the church. It's obvious that it's modeled on it. I put rooted in because I argued earlier that before marriage was even created in Genesis 2.24, God had in view Christ and the church. Third, his headship, the husband's headship, does not replace, does not replace Christ as the wife's supreme head, since she is a member of Christ's body. And if she's a member of the body, she has a head, as all the other members have Christ as their direct head. Then within that body, the headship of the husband find its place. He does not become Christ to her. He doesn't become God to her or Lord to her. She has a personal, direct relationship with the living Christ. Fourth, as head, like Christ, he bears primary responsibility. And then I list three things, which we had seen earlier were the nature of Christ's headship. Notice my language. I'm interpreting headship here as being defined in large measure by the word responsibility, accountability. If the Lord knocks on the door and there's a problem in the house, he will say, is the man home? And he will say that even if the problem is created by the wife, because he wants to solve it through the person who has 
primary responsibility. And the reason I'm using the word primary is because it is not sole responsibility. Families have, have always worked out the solution to problems in various ways, sharing responsibility. The man, by virtue of headship, has primary responsibility to lead. What does that mean? To take initiative in building a moral vision for the family, bearing primary responsibility for its practical implication. Oh, how I would love to linger with you for hours talking about these things. I'm just putting them on the screen so that you can stop, linger, pray, ponder, discuss as to whether these things are so. Primary responsibility to supply. Bearing primary responsibility to see to it that the family's needs are met. Primary, not soul. This has nothing to say about whether the wife works or not. She's always worked. <laughs> it's a partnership of work. She may work at home. She may work in the field. She may work in an office. This, this is primary burden for seeing to it that it's worked out so that family's needs are met. And to protect primary responsibility, headship implies primary responsibility to protect bearing primary responsibility for the husband to stand between the family and unwarranted danger. He puts himself between as the one who bears unique responsibility for that protection. Number five, that threefold act of headship, namely leadership, supply, and protection, is shaped and guided by the command to love as his wife, as Christ loved the church. That's the burden of Paul's largest uh, unit. He, he devotes more space to that than anything, these next two, five and six. The way of love, the way of Christ's love, is defined for us, sacrificial to the point of death. This is what makes headship so radically servant-like. Sometimes people play off servant leadership against headship, and I would say no. When Christ bound the towel around himself, you remember, got down on the floor and washed the apostles' feet as a servant, there was no doubt in that room who the leader was. Nobody thought, oh, he's abandoned his role as leadership as he gets on the floor and shows them how to live. So it is here. In calling the husband to sacrificial uh, life to the point of death, he doesn't mean he's lost his headship. He's defining it. He's shaping it. He's guiding it. The goal of that love, her ultimate and comprehensive good. That's how I understand those verses. Implication. Christ invites participation in his leadership by the prayers of the church. Have you ever thought of that? Christ is bent on leading and folding the church's prayers into the way he leads. Of course, he's infallible, and he never makes a mistake, and he doesn't grant us anything that's bad for us. The husbands are not infallible, and therefore 
that kind of participation there, inviting the petitions, requests, advice, suggestions of his wife, is going to take them very, very seriously. He's he's a fallible man, and just as Christ loves the involvement of his church, husbands love the involvement of their wives, here's another even more radical implication. Christ pursues joyful submission, not coerced submission. And therefore, a husband who who treats his wife as a, as a slave, who demands things from her without any desire to treat her in a way that would make her partnership with him joyful, he does not understand what's going on in the Bible or in his call. Six, that threefold act of headship leading, supplying, protecting, is shaped and guided by the command to love the wife as Christ loves his own body. Implications. Not putting his wife below himself in significance, but as himself. That's an amazingly radical statement, right? He loves his wife as he loves his own body. So he doesn't put her down to step on, he puts her as himself so that he treats her as he wants to be treated. Nourishing. Taking the primary responsibility to see to it that the wife is not lacking in any physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual need. Taking the primary responsibility of cherishing beyond the basic needs desiring and pursuing her pleasures. This word, this word cherishing here has to do with comfort. As he desires pleasure in his own body, so he desires for his wife to know the pleasures that she longs for. Two more. As her head, he holds fast to her and does not forsake her, as Christ never divorces the church. You leave father and mother, you cleave to your wife, you hold fast to her, you never throw her away, ever. Eight, as her head, he will seek his joy in her joy, because, sorry for that misprint, it is a profound reality that, in fact, Her joy is his joy. This, brothers, husbands, is a great calling. Marriage is a beautiful thing in the Bible. The standard is as high as it possibly gets. Let's do it.